Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's still Wednesday afternoon. Later, I'm going to on Cholamoy see if I can do now the uh, talk about the tefillah, especially we're looking at the last two days of Pesach. Um, again, as always, these uh, tefillah podcasts are sponsored by Mishpacha Sapansky. We thank them. And what's new in the tefillah for the last two days is, of course, these monster-sized Putin. You don't want to dive in my shoulder, Shabbos, or Friday there, because we say everything. I'm talking about in the Chazarza shots. We don't do the stuff, you know, in the Kedusha and all that. But, uh, you know, there's plenty of Putin besides that. But the ones that come on the 7th, 8th day of Pesach are pretty monstrously sized, although they are marbles. And uh, this year, by the way, you switch them, you know, because it's Shabbos. If you follow the art scroll, they will guide you on what to do if you're into this sort of thing. So I ain't taking you line by line through something which is the size of Beowulf, but... uh, Suffice it to say that uh, we do these epic poems, which are preceded by epic poems. The main epic poem is the Oz Yashir. You know, every time it's Oz Yashir, and then five lines, ten lines, and then Es Hashir Azoz, and five lines, and, you know, Yemin Hashem Nadar Bekoach, five lines. So it goes on and on and on. Now, it's very cool stuff, but it takes up a lot of time. Um, obviously, these were once upon a time meant to be sung, in cadence, I don't know how they did it in medieval Ashkenaz. <clears throat> but we are talking about old stuff, baby. I mean, from before Rashi. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spare you, instead call your attention to a keta piece or two, from what we're going to recite. I guess it'll be this year on the eighth day, because the, you flip them. Um, you flip them. The, no, that's not true. This will be on Shabbos, yeah. Yeah, this will be in Shabbos. Um, usually this would be the first day, but this year would be the second day. But it doesn't matter. And this is a famous poem for those that are into Ashkenazi poetry, the history of it, from one of the greatest of the old pythons of the old school, baby. Master Shem Ben Yitzhak of Shem in Worms. Uh, he died 20 years before Rashi was born, <laughs> okay? He lived in the late 900s, early 1000s. I'm asked early Ashkenaz, my man. We don't even know too much about all these people, okay? Uh, he's the guy with the legends that his son became a pope, Elchanan Benoma Lashbar. I think I talked about it one time or another. I must have. But, uh, uh, and and you don't realize, but a lot of his, his uh, piyutim and all this from all during the year got adopted. And some of them are used by Yassel Rosenbaum, believe it or not. But anyway... Uh, you know, you just don't rec- you know recognize the origins of it. So we're talking about somebody, a composer, who's one of the big Gadoli Ashkenaz in the Rhineland. Like I say, two generations before Rashi. Before Rashi, this guy was a buddy with Rabbeinu Gershon. That's how old we're talking about. In fact, I think he was older than Rabbeinu Gershon, and so it's old. And here you see, like Professor Salvation talks about the strange 
roots of the early Ashkenaz, like, did it come from Greece? Did it come from some third yeshivas, he says? Some Byzantines? <clears throat> some connects with the Kaliri and Yanai? Whatever it is. But here, Rabbonim, who were, let's get this straight, they were Rabbonim, they Paschal Shilas, they Rosh Hashivas, they gave Shurim, and so on and so forth. In addition to that, he also wore another hat. He was a religious poet. I mean, really, turned him on. And nobody, unless you're a, a passionate poet, could write these long things the way he does, that we'll see in a second. And they're very cute, very pious, of course. Oh, my goodness. But they're very cute if you ever take the trouble to read them. Now, as I said before, I don't think I'd have time. I'll see. I'll call your attention to... Uh, these are very famous among the world of poetry scholars, like Hoberman and the others, but it doesn't matter. i got to tell you this. This is old Ashkenaz. And um, if you get... You know, it used to be uh, Abraham Berliner who taught history. He never went to college, but he taught history at the Hildesheimer Seminary. He was like a Wissenschaft, the Judentum scholar of the 19th century, uh, autodidact, interestingly, and a from guy. He joined with Hildesheimer, you know, to fight the reform. But on the other hand, and, and by the way, Abraham Berliner was the first guy, if I remember correctly, to allow in the Vatican Library. And they wouldn't allow Jewish scholars in. And up to the 19th century, and because he was a from guy, he kind of like he knew how to play that card that he could identify. Like you know, you're Catholic, I'm Orthodox, we're on the same side, right? Against the uh, Reform, who were like Protestants, you know, something like that. He wrote a lot of interesting things. The later generation of historians hated his stuff. They called it Kugel Geschichte. He writes about the history of Kugel. I don't agree. I kind of like his stuff, and if you um, take the, they're very uh, cute. Very entertaining, and if you uh, uh, have a big collection of um, the old stuff from the most rough cook, there was a tekufa, I think, like in the 50s, where they translated into Hebrew a lot of the Wissenschaft stuff from the 19th century. Um, from and not from, by the way, it's interesting about the uh, you know, if they considered it scholarly, this is when the most rough cook must have been run by Yakas or something. And you have Kiss here, Abram Berliner, I believe two volumes. I have it somewhere. I have it. It's not bad. And he published many articles in the journals. And one of them is the old Yisker book, because we're coming up to Yisker now on the last day of Yontif, correct? So we're a uh, uh, Yisker book from Worms, which means, oh, these are the guys who like invented Yisker. You know what I mean? Like in the 900s we're talking over here. And... It's just cute. He says he has a student of his. You can get online, you know. He has a student of his who, like, uh, who, what do you call it? Who copied it out for him and uh, from, went to Worms. And, uh, I mean, it's very interesting over here. It's called Kovitz al Yadmi. It's a collection. Save for Haskaris Neshama's Kills of Remizo. You know. Nishlachiyad de Tum Shorashi Akahol. Ba'ad Talmidi Habachar Moshe Stern. Who had taken me to Hashem Sakadoshim, Hashem Nashal Amos, beyond my hand beaters or Adifa. And uh, this guy, Moshe Stern, whoever he was, he uh, copied out the old Nusach. I mean, it was a thousand years old, or whatever, how many centuries old, of the Yisker book, especially the Yisker stuff of the martyrs and people like that. When I say people like that, people who risked their lives to help the Jewish community worms back in the Middle Ages on one occasion or another. 
and other gedolim, okay, and other gedolim. And so to cut to the chase, it says Yisrael him nishmas of Shlomo Marthrachal nishmas Sadikim blah blah blah. By voice of bit lushmad b'chol kehilas b'schayzeti and nafshem b'tzur b'tzur achayim. Who even knows what he's talking about up here? Shlomo and Rachel. They saved the Kehillahs from destruction. On some occasion, you know, this is way before the Crusades. Yisrael Yenishmas Yankov Yenishmas Ay or whatever. Then they would bring up somebody who built a shul or something like that. And they stopped the Jew, you know, they did something to abolish the special tax the Jews in Complaints had to pay. Yisrael Hinishmas Rabbeinu Gershon, Margola. Why remember him? Shehei Reini Agola Batakanosov. And then Shimon ben Yitzhak, our hero, Shetarach Babur Kehillus. So he worked on behalf of the Kehillus. Behei Reini Agola Bepiyutov. And he was Mr. Piyutim. And then another guy, Shlomo Bar Yitzhak, Shehei Reini Agola Bepiyutov. Oh, that other guy is called Rashi. <laughs> And another guy, Yisrael Hinishmas, Yankov and Mayer. Who the heck is that? Oh, Shehei Reinigol Batosov. It's Rabbeinu Tom. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's like amazing. It's amazing. So that's who our hero is, the author of the long set of Putin that we're going to read, I guess, um, on Shabbos. Okay? we read on Shabbos. And we in the, in the Gauls. And it is famous for those that do it. And it's retelling of the, obviously, it's retelling of Parsha B'Shalah. It goes without saying. Because the seventh day day is all about Kriyas Yamsim and the story. It's a very dramatic story. And it's a long poem that goes on. And it's interrupted, as is always the case with this, by Mogen Avraham. And then Nemanatola Hagias Mesim. You know how that goes. So even though it's interrupted, but really, 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 it's a continuous long poem. And the second part is really super cool. And that's before they get to the main part. Okay? So I'm not going to go into the main part because that would take us an hour, I think. But I want to call your attention to the first part where he is really majestic in his language and what he's trying to do is poetically paint the Parsha. You understand? And what's really funny is he's making fun, you might say, of the Egyptians. You know? We saw your Isis with our own eyes. When you put on your, your weapons. No, Zashem, let's put it this way. Uh, Paro went after the Jews. Oh boy, they messed with the wrong guy. But the Ban Shalom, he put on his Zion. Why do you say the Ban Shalom put on Zion, put on um, armor? Well, you dummy. Hashem Yishmolcham, Hashem Shmo. Moshe Amir calls God a warrior. That means armed with, with weapons. You see? When the guy went after you, they ended up with bupkis. They were, they were disappeared like drunkards. The beautiful one, you took out from the jail. And you removed from her shoulders the bonds of suffering. It refers to Pharaoh again and again as the serpent. The crocodile, because everybody knows in in, in the Yecheskel, how is Paro called Atanim Magadolim? Atanim Magadolim, 
Shit, number Li Remember that? Wasn't that long ago in the Haftorah? Par says, "I'm the giant crocodile. I made I I uh, come from the river and I made myself." Li So when this big serpent or crocodile started blaspheming, boy, did he make a mistake? Then he chased, went headlong into destruction. Chafos from the word chipazon, which is a great use of the word. There's so many subtleties in these poems. If we, if I had a seminar now, we could kick it around the table. Everybody would have a lot of fun because the clogs are released with chipazon, as we all know. But guess what? The chipazon ain't over. Seven days later, there's another chipazon. The difference, though, is. The chipazon of the Klai Yisrael is towards Gula Yeshua. On the other hand, the chipazon of the Paro and the 600 chariots is to doom. You see? So it's it's like a super, what's the right word? Poetic justice. You understand? Uh, oh boy. Then he flaps his wings like an eagle because we say, Kinesha, you're kind of, you know. So he wanted to be the eagle and go and chase after the Jews. Kseel be vel shunless yaher. Shlomo Melch says that it's Kseel does the vels over and over again. Like Einstein said, what's the definition of a fool? He does the same thing over and over again, even if it didn't work. So here you have a thousand years ago, they're writing like that. Lo yod lizar. He didn't have enough common sense to be careful. Didn't you mess with Hashem before? Didn't you get ten plagues, you idiot? Didn't you get makas b'chayres? No, it's not good enough. So you see, if a guy's singing in shul, singing it, and the people sing longer, at least they know what he's saying, it evokes the picture of the Kriyas Yamsev, frankly, more than anything else. You see? So, ka'achas b'ashal, b'achas mitzlos, he says, b'achaneu, kid choyom nichba sorkhomi, he gathered all his big machers. So, ka'achas b'ashal, mitzlos, here you have a very uh, unusual phrase. He chased after them ta'achas ba'ashos miflotsov. Now, so the art scroll translates it. I'm not sure if they're right about that. With the advice of his idol, and this would be based on the famous Rashi and everything. Now, this is written before Rashi, but it's a bechilta that you know Hashem left Baal's phone. Uh, he didn't wipe out all the idols; he left one. That way, they thought that idol has power, and based on that miss. Assumption, that faulty assumption, they said we can go get him by Baal's phone. You know, that's the famous Chazal. I don't know if Hashoah's Miflotzah works like that. Miflotz is definitely an idol. Uh, Miflotzah is a female pervert idol. But Miflotzah could be any kind of an idol. Hashoah sounds to me from the word Shoah. Um, right? Which is destruction, which sounds even better. I would translate it. Um, I think I'm. I'm only saying what I think. I think I would say better. He got so angry, so peeled over the destruction of his own idols, he couldn't stand it. That he gathered together all of his uh, warriors. So in other words, I think mine is better. So they all chased after the Jews like one. When they saw their idols be showed, being <coughs> nuked, being destroyed. Because one of the things we say is, um, 
how do you translate that word? In fact, it sounds stupid. I will judge the gods of Egypt, Hashem says. Look, baby, there are no gods of Egypt. I mean, how does the Rambam understand that, you know? Get it? How does the Rambam understand it? Not only will I punish Paro, but also the gods of Egypt. There are no gods of Egypt. You get it? There are no gods of Egypt. They're idols. They represent nothing. You can't get angry over the idols. and It's garnished. Right? It doesn't mean anything. It's like somebody said, oh, aren't you angry because the Mormons are converting dead Jews, whatever they were doing a couple years ago. It don't mean anything. <laughs> you get it? You can you can have a dance a hundred dances and swing a hundred swings. It doesn't mean anything. So why would you get angry over that? What does it mean I will judge the gods of Egypt? So the best, I mean, the Chazal, what they say is like this. The physical idols were melted or destroyed. It's melted like that. Maybe it's in Rashi, I don't know. It's a Chazal. So, uh, first of all, I don't know what that means. Because it's certainly not the case for anybody who knows a little bit about Egyptian archaeology, even a tiny bit. You can't say that the idols of Egypt, that we're dealing over here with the 1300s BCE, 1200 BC, it's one of those centuries, you know what I mean? The usual date is 1312 BC. Let's say it's off a little bit, so let's say it's 12-something BC. So it's what, the 19th dynasty, whatever. We can date, pretty doggone certain, the pyramids and a lot of statues. I mean, Egypt is chock full of idols and statues. Um, They weren't all melted, right? It's not like all this stuff was put away. But I would, in my personal opinion, I would imagine that this particular pharaoh, whoever he was, probably had Muchadika idols for his own glory, showing his connection with the gods or something like that. And those were um, destroyed. They melted. So it was a super diss on Pharaoh. That would be very meduic in the language over here. So kachas b'hashas miflotsov. That they all choice this one because everybody got angry at this spitting, so to speak, on, um, on Pharaoh. In other words, how did Pyro feel when he was compelled to tell Moshe to get out of here and leave? And he had to go back on everything he said in his arrogance previously. And now he came begging and so forth and so on. So the answer is it was a very unpleasant experience. And he wanted to get over it as much as possible. And he felt pretty humiliated that he had to give in to any degree whatsoever. And I can understand that, right? So can you, you know? They made him look like a fool. Pyro and pajamas middle of the night. And now... When he discovers that not only he let the Jews go, and he suffered the plague of the firstborn, but all, let's call his name Sammy, uh, all of Sammy's statues and images and things have melted. That's like insult beyond insult. And that, you know, just ticked him off and led him to do things that were not logical. Because people, when they get super insulted, do, I mean, you know, they're going to fly off the handle. They're, not, they're out of control. doesn't matter that they're, you know, Calm calculation should lead them to think this is not a good idea. There's always a battle among humans, especially kings and rulers, between the head and the heart. Right? The head says, take it easy, be rational, be very careful how you do things, and the heart is you know, full of um, anger and emotion. You spit on me, you insulted me, you did this to me, I'm going after you. I don't care what happens to me. And that's what I'm the power of. So I think my translation is better than the arts world. But whatever. This is a play in the words of Ruvain. You know, 
because he Tzibbutz Kodesh chased into the water. So the whole story of Pyro was a case of where the heart ruled the head. His head should have told him, let the Jews go, take it easy, walk away. But as we all know, he couldn't do that. And he goes on to say, Toka plos and he showed all these Gavaldic miracles to the Noam, to, to the wonderful Jewish people. Tanin, when you force the serpent, the, the crocodile, to let the people go. So this is just setting up the beginning of it. And then in the next stanza, which you say after Ati Gibor, he gets into a little bit more. And he says, The Jews left singing. Right? Means they were in a happy mood. They were singing. And it also was a reference to the Oz Yosher. They were singing when you saw their pursuers get wiped down in the water, and you took your people over. When the Egyptians who had masked for war, now they're a bunch of pagarm, a bunch of dead bodies. And it wasn't enough they got the ten plagues in Egypt, these idiots. Tofu, Sofu, excuse me. Bachas is a they got an 11th plague. <laughs> In other words, 10 wasn't enough? I'll give you 11. The 11th is whether you get the army wiped out. You see? And the body swelled and all this kind of stuff. And the swelling of the body would reflect the swelling of the arrogance. So it's like really, really cute. Okay? It's really cute. But I got to watch my time. So let me get to the next part, which is the coolest. And that is, when you get to Imbril Himadirim, it's all part of one long, gigantic poem gigantic poem and this is an intro to the main part which we won't have time for um unless we do another podcast but i don't think i sponsored that anyway uh this is an intro to the main part the main part starts with and each one has a, a long stanza after it that's when you go into ozzy usher in detail so what would be the intro to that which is about two pages long what would be the intro and the answer is a history of evil. <laughs> a biblical history of evil. It's Gavaldic. Now, I would say to the average reader, get a hold of one of these mouses uh, uh, with Pirushim or get the article or something like that because it's a little bit uh, unclear, but not really, right? And it's really wonderful. Uh, it's 33 triplets and 11 stanzas. And basically, you start with history of of blasphemy, okay? And so he starts by saying, uh, but after a line or two, he gets right into it, okay? Let's go through the Chumash from Bresh's on. When do we find blasphemy? You hear him, you have the arrogant ones, when do we have arrogant people who did bizadum? The answer is the Dor HaMabal. They were judged, Mida Kamida, and their arrogance was thrown into Shaol with the flood. They were inundated by Zam, by God's anger. The whole world turned upside down. That's a good description of the Mabul. Because he went to idols. God was so angry. God called the ocean. And wiped them out with a flood. Okay? Don't be surprised that God reversed the Sidra Beishis, though he did something that was supernatural, namely the Mabo. 
because they were mashkas as darkum words. They weren't all the perversions. But shachsam as darkum, the skull, baros can kill baros So, okay, that's case number one in the history of mankind, the Dora Mabel. When was the second judge? Because mind you, Adam and Eve was a different story. It wasn't blasphemy. And Cain and Hevel was a crime of passion, not a crime of blasphemy. But the Dora Mabel was. What's the next case? The answer is the Tower of Bobo. Rabbanosim Ikenim Yoshi Shinar, Pabinyan Hamigdal Libam Nivar, by Yazumla Hagbi Lane Nashar. They want to build, says Rosham Agil Shamaima. You know, they want to get up to Shamaim. No, it's Olim Nostimizimus, no Latimi Mimus. They said we want to build something to prevent us from getting uh, drowned again. Tibi Mimus. Now, Lurkiv and I can't do Mimus. Let's climb up to heaven and attack God with axes. That's what the Chazal say. Baal Hashem, Choshem, and Hashem was Baal Hashem, and so on and so forth. Okay? We talked about that a little bit. What's the next case after the Tower of Bubble? Avram, obviously, is not a case of blasphemy. So the answer is Sedon. <laughs> okay? Sedon. That's what it is. And then, that's we. So it's one long poem evoking one case after another. Ra'im begufum bechatoim be'odom. There was those who were banned in their goof and be'odom and their money. Ga'on sveyas lechem ha'yusodom. That's a famous pasuk in in um, Oi in Eo. For any ve'evin lechzegyadim, they didn't know Chesed. Yabirosim kismali sifkom. When Hashem said time was up, as we all know, he wiped him out. Tzikas Ezra chadon zachar ben Ezra. He didn't kill Lot because of Avram and so forth and so on. What's the next case? Well, let's skip Pharaoh. That's what he does in here for a reason, for poetic reasons. So, what's the next guy? Do you have blasphemy? In Shmos Vayikra, but Midbar Dvorim. The answer is you do not. You don't have anybody insulting Hashem. I mean, you wouldn't call Bilam a blasphemer. You see what I'm saying? Bilam knew the power of God. He just wanted to channel it for his own purposes. Okay, let's go to Yeshua. Ain't no blaspheming in the book of Joshua. Ain't no blaspheming in the, in the book of Judges. There was sin. There was idolatry. There was intermarriage, but there wasn't blasphemy. This is interesting what I'm saying, right? Let's go to Shmuel Olive. Nope. What about Shmuel Bays? Nope. They have their share of Averis. None of the characters in Shmuel Alf and Blaze blaspheme. All right, let's go to Mlochen. You see how I'm going? If you go down the line, you know, Shlomo, these other guys, Yerob ben Devad didn't blaspheme exactly. He did something terrible, but he didn't say, uh, heck with Hashem or something like that. It's, it's interesting. The answer is, and I'm talking about from biblical language. I mean, with Chazals, you can play games, but in biblical language, our hero, the Rav Shimon HaPaitan, is going with the with the Bible. I'll save you the trouble. Sancherev. Get it? Sancherev's messengers say, your God can't save you. I've conquered the highest mountains. I've covered the great forests. And the other gods couldn't save them, etc., etc. You know the story. So the emissaries of Tiglas, which is Sancherev, cursed and blasphemed when they were told by their master, Lagadalagas, to pour in the scheme. Oh, okay. So you didn't learn your lessons, Sancherev, from Dormabal, or from Sidon. You see how it goes? Or from the Migdal and so forth. It was a long time ago, so you had learned a new lesson. Malach Yotzebatim Nechav. So we all know that Malach came and wiped out his army. Okay? And he shaved him, and he ran away and was killed. Okay, fine. 
Now let's see the next guy. After Sancherib, go through your Bible. Who's the next guy that blasphemes against Hashem? Again, don't give me a Gemara. Has to be in the Pusik. Okay? Now we could play games here. You could talk about Yel Yakim cutting up the, the Navu and all that, but nobody comes out and befavors, you know, blasphemes. And the answer is you'd have to go to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? You'd have to go to Nebuchadnezzar, who basically built this great idol and he says, I'm the greatest and all this stuff. Right? And uh uh, uh, he's the one who said, I can climb the highest mountains. That'd be perfectly honest. Nebuchadnezzar didn't say that. It was a Sanjero. But he's putting into his mind, the poet is putting him the way he would have talked uh, in terms of taking on the base Amigdash and destroying it. And there is that story specifically when Nebuchadnezzar had an excess of megalomania, this is the great Babylon, I've prayed to Tiferes, Malchusi, or something like that, Degresta, and then he turned into a behemoth for a while. I remember he went mad for uh, three seasons or seven seasons, or whatever it is. Adon, Hesirim, Imloch, Vamlucho, Umneyadam, Terchel, Ashalcho, in Behemoth, Shevel, Halcho. He had to be with the behemoth for seven seasons. So he had the reverse of being arrogant, became not even human, so to speak. Okay, who's the next guy that blasphemes? The answer is Belshazzar, who took out the Caleb and the base of Migdash. And Daniel specifically says, Almari Shemaim Hisramamta. So that means that you held yourself higher than God. And you know, the disembodied hand writes on the wall, You're screwed, baby. Your time is up. And then and Daniel interprets it and so forth and so on. Who's the next guy? Right? So he says, Homan. Um, that's interesting. When did Homan exactly, you know, blaspheme? Well, he says like this. If he planned to kill each and every Jew, that's the biggest blasphemy. Zoda Gogi, Lara Glabi, Bonima Shabom of Miskabe, Pisama Kliovit. When he said to the king to kill everybody, he didn't speak about God unless... He's referring to, you never know, unless he's referring to the famous Chazal, where it's in the Gemara, it's, it's heavily in the Medrash, where indeed, when Homer proposes to the king and his advisors that they destroy the Jewish people, the king and advisors say, look what happened to Pharaoh. And what does Haman answer? Their God has gotten old. You know, he's over the hill because he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the base of Mish, meaning the old boy doesn't have it anymore. If he was still the old god of the Jews, he wouldn't have allowed the Babylonians to destroy the temple. He didn't chop how it works. And so the bottom line is he's a blasphemer, and of course, and he was hanged on his own tree. Now, what's the point of all this? Okay? What's the point of all this? These got, because when you come to the book of Esther, that's the end of the Bible, correct? There's no blasphemers after that. Esther is pretty much the end of the Old Testament. Now, um, uh, what does it say over here? The poet, having taken the, the worshippers on Shabbos, last day of Pesach, to the history of blasphemy, has overlooked the most famous case, which is Paro. How come all these people who are machis, who got, got angry, who blasphemed, why don't they put in their mind, why don't they think about what happened to Pharaoh? the king of Hanisim. 
Now, I told you before, they kind of did, but Haman spun it his way. Why didn't they t- learn from the lesson? He was the p- pharaoh who wouldn't let the people go. He said, as you know, Paro said that. And Hashem said like this, you blaspheme against me, I'm going to get you but good. I'm going to get you but good. First of all, and notice, you're going to suffer everything. First of all, he gave him the ten makas. The pirate delivered through the ten makas. Pyro could have killed, I mean, Hashem could have killed Pyro in any moment, but he wanted him to live, to suffer. You see? Wait a minute, I'm not finished. And then comes the seventh day Pesach, the Kriyas Yamsuf. Now, um, he was wounds. Let's put it this way: he it's living through the ten plagues is like um, as if Pyro himself had been busted physically and beaten up and covered with bruises from top to bottom and bloody. Now, it's not physically the way it was, but emotionally it was the way it was. You get it? Par was a wreck. But Chaburis of Psalm Moselach, that Hashem hit him with, with Chaburis and with, um, and with Psalm, you know what that means, wounds and, uh, and cuts. And it's like he shot an arrow straight into his liver. Now, that's not, that didn't actually happen. What it means is, every time a plague hit Egypt, Paro looked real dumb, and he took, it was like, it was like a, a arrow piercing his stomach. You get it? Emotionally. So he's now speaking about the punishment, the exquisite punishment of Pharaoh in the psychological sense, in the emotional sense. Because the listeners who read this poem know very well that Pyro didn't get physically hurt. But it's calling attention. How did Pyro do it when he was unable to save his own son? How did Pyro react when he couldn't save his own people? When you had Kinim, Arba, Choshech, Makas, Bechoros, all this stuff, you know. And especially when Moshe said, here it's coming, you better let my people go. And each time Paro said no. And then each time he got hit over the head even bigger. And he felt stupider and stupider. You see? And then he had to send him. Send him out anyway. So it gives you a little idea of the state of mind Pharaoh was in. How come all the other blasphemers didn't take a muster from this? You get it? Of course, he ends up talking about uh, this, the state of mind Pharaoh's in when he chases the Jews. When the Jews had, weren't, weren't too far away, they chased after him. But this is all part of a, Hashem's plan and all the rest of it. And then that leads you into the state of mind of Pharaoh as he chases into uh, the Jews and, and, and charges to his doom. Not the charge of the light brigade, it's the charge of the Egyptian brigade, right? Uh, to the wipeout. So, uh, this is just the beginning of the poem. Then starts the real poem. You know, where it's and a bunch of stuff, and a bunch of stuff, and a bunch of stuff, and so forth. So, this is a... To, to, to read and translate it, and do justice to it, in my opinion, would be a two-hour, three-hour business. And, I, and they didn't do that in those days. But they did sing it. And that itself took a lot of time. 
Apparently, he didn't mind it. Didn't mind it. In modern times, people sit through it like, unless you're bringing, I mean, to me, it's not a burden, because I know what I'm saying. Not everybody's into this, and it's a real shame. So I hope, I just give you a little taste, and I went over time, longer than I usually do, I give you a little taste of these uh, monumental piyutim that are out there for the last days of Pesach. Uh, the other one that they're going to say tomorrow, on uh, or on uh, Friday, is different, from a different uh, Python. But Roshimin Hagarol is like big, big, big. And uh can imagine if, when people actually understood what they were saying 900 years ago, if they did, I think they did, uh, then the whole uh, davening on Pesach was dominated by a peel like this. It was all dominated by a peel like this. At least that's what I think. Anyway, I want to just give you, like I say, a taste of the YouTube. And... Uh, once again, I want to wish everybody a last day to Pesach. Thank Mishpacha Stavansky, and have a good young. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.